The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Game one of Milwaukee-Toronto is in the books. The Bucks surging ahead, outscoring Toronto 32-17 to in the final frame. Finally got some three-pointers to go down. Brooke Lopez was maybe the best player on the floor with 29 points and four block shots, four offensive rebounds. I think all of those led directly to put back. So he was outstanding. Meanwhile, Kawhi had a very rough fourth quarter, only three shot attempts. I think he only had five points in the fourth quarter. Raptors started off on fire from three and then couldn't make anything in the second half other than Cal Lowry who had one of the best playoff games of his career so we didn't talk about our predictions didn't get a chance to because we got 30 team previews that we have to get to I apologize I didn't realize people really like care about the previews that much but in any event I had the Raptors in six echoing what I had at the start of the playoffs I probably after watching this game would say that I was maybe a little bit too anchored to what I had at the start I didn't want to overreact to what happened in the the Philly series and for a half even I would say for a half the third quarter it, it looked like the Bucks got going it looked like I, I might be right at, I had Raptors in six because generally anytime I pick the road team I'm gonna pick six and I but I also thought it was unbelievably close to say that I had Raptors in six doesn't mean that I didn't think it was as close as could be to call it uh you had bucks i assume since that what you had at the start of the playoffs i had bucks in seven so i i switched over the course of the playoffs i was leaning raptors at one point and then i switched back to the bucks and the reason why we saw a little bit of it in the second half though the sample isn't great here is that i worry about toronto's offense and i think the this the the most variable factor in this like the one with the most downside risk is their offense because it has a tendency to stagnate at times. Kawhi is unbelievable, and Kyle Lowry had a fantastic game. I thought he could be a big problem for the Raptors with Eric Bledsoe on him. I thought Bledsoe did a better job in the second half, but still, Lowry did really well, to be to be unambiguous about it. And, you know, that's part of the story of this game. I, I, there are a bunch of different ones. Something that I thought might rear its head and did was Milwaukee being this unbelievable rim protection team. Now, Toronto, like both teams, got to the line plenty, but Milwaukee this year, what made them stand out was they gave up not only the smallest proportion of opponent shots at the rim, but also the lowest effectiveness. And in this game, Toronto, 9 of 19. And both the numerator and the denominator there are important in this game. And some of the makes they had were really impressive. Some of them were in transition where the Raptors made some hay early on. But I mean, there were plays, especially in the fourth quarter, where that rim protection for Milwaukee was on full display, whether it was Brooke Lopez or that help block by George Hill. They just have so much length. And if even with Toronto shooting, they had guys around the basket. Yeah, and I would add to that even 4 of 14 on floaters Lopez wasn't only taking it up space right at the rim but he really was bothering Kawhi when he tried to get into the mid-range as well especially in the second half and Toronto couldn't hit anything from mid-range either I mean overall on two pointers an atrocious 38 percent it's pretty hard to make a living that way and yeah the Raptors were 10 to 21 from three in the first half I did think they got better looks from better shooters largely in the first half particularly in transition the Bucks were able to quell their turnovers in the second half which took a a lot of what Toronto was able to do in transition and just ordinary regression they they went five out of 21 on threes in the second half after that 10 out of 21 in the first half Pascal Siakam 0 for 7 on corner three-pointers in this game and not many of them were particularly close a lot of them were rushed uh I think Siakam's only three-pointer was that crazy above the break three to end the third quarter and put them up seven which seemed 
like a huge shot at the time i do think that toronto can do a pretty decent job defending milwaukee i realized the bucks were 11 to 44 and they they're good shooters like lopez and miritich hit some tough ones in the fourth quarter that they had been missing earlier on but i think toronto's defense can do a decent job on milwaukee Giannis didn't really go crazy in this one got to the foul and more in the second half i thought that the bucks are not an unbelievable passing team and that toronto with their intelligence and length green lowry leonard siakam those guys are able to cover ground get back out to shooters you know if it's someone like Ilya Sova or pat Connaughton taking a three with a guy flying at him you know you're okay with that shot that's different than chris middleton wide open um lopez was way off it in the beginning bledsoe couldn't hit anything lopez of course had the three threes in the fourth quarter so i, I think the the raptors can feel decent about what they did defensively in this game but offensively i think it, it's could be a major problem and i think the biggest thing in this game that was different from my pre-series expectations was how difficult they were able to make life on Kawhi. yeah i mean so Kawhi he did have 15 on 5 of 11 in the first half and you know 5 of 11 not not completely ridiculous but getting to the free throw line 26 shots 10 of 10 from the line 31 points also turn the ball over three times it's not like harden where turnovers are this amazing proxy are like a perfect proxy but it it is pretty good with Kawhi about whether he's getting bothered whether teams are taking out also Giannis with five I thought the the raps did some did some nice things to try to just get him uncomfortable but you're right I mean and, and one of the differences between these two teams for me is just in the half court I trust Milwaukee's system and options more than I trust Toronto's unless Kawhi Leonard is being a superhuman and he certainly can't and and there will be times in this series where he is and Milwaukee's length even if they don't have a single defender that I think is just like a Kawhi stopper not that anybody has one of those but they can send multiple guys they can put some heat on him and I thought they did a really nice job yeah when Kawhi doesn't have the option to get all the way to the rim which he doesn't with Brooke Lopez on the floor he just doesn't it gets a lot more difficult for him because he has that option of really bullying guys he can do that fake spin move get there to try and dunk Lopez blocked one of his dunk attempts tonight I mean Brooke Lopez is just impossible to score on when he's under the basket and we saw in those Houston games against Milwaukee too that there's just not really much of an antidote for him if there is one it's spreading the floor with his man and I thought Marcus Gasol really had a really nice defensive first half walling off against Giannis especially with Lopez missing shots but that he just was not good enough on either end in the second half if Lopez starts hitting shots they, he was on the floor against Miritich who hit a pick and pop three on him and, Lo- and Gasol was doing everything that he could but you know obviously his mobility is limited and then offensively he hit some threes in the first half but those were threes where they're in transition they're getting penetration they're kicking out out, multiple passes get swung to him in rhythm wide open Gasol is not as comfortable whether it's a mental thing or what taking three-pointers just off of one pass when his guy's not guarding him and they just kick out he wants to pass it to somebody else he just I think mentally has this clock in his head of like all right this we need to get more passes on this possession it's got to be more of a beautiful game and now you just got to make that shot Mark and Brooke Lopez I've been very impressed with his mobility in these playoffs he certainly got out there bothered Mark on some of those plays also Gasol a lot of mid-range floaters elbow jump shots with his feet not set that just are not good shots for him that he was forced into and so if we had done a a series preview I would have talked about this beforehand that I think Serge Ibaka is the better matchup here I think switched on to Giannis he could do a better job and if they want to post up Lopez that's fine you can double him he's not a great passer the defensive glass is going to be a problem potentially we didn't think that Milwaukee would kill them with that but they did in this game but I think Ibaka offensively is just a more willing shooter in a pick and pop he gets his feet set faster he gets his shot off faster and he's also more capable of guarding Giannis on a switch and so I think Ibaka is going to be the better matchup down the end of games especially if in fact Lopez has now rediscovered his three-point shot what do you think of that? I agree with you. This never felt to me like a Marcus Gasol series. And he can play better than he did overall. And I mean, Gasol was also zero for four on twos. You talked about the, some of the weird ones that he took. Offensively, he's always going to be a cog in the machine, I don't think, unless he's like maybe with some of the second unit stuff can do more than that. But you're right that defensively, he's just put in some awkward circumstances. And I think Ibaka can do a better job overall. And Milwaukee, really in all of their primary configurations now, if they start to get into some guys like Air. Sonia Sova and other things, this can change, but 
I've talked before about the idea of putting somebody smaller on Brook, but I don't like Marcus Ole on Giannis. So, I mean, maybe in certain moments, but that's yeah. why I think Ibaka is better, better suited for that. So if you, so Ibaka is probably better for guarding Brook. And then he's also better for those circumstances where you want a bigger, you want a center on Giannis and maybe you put somebody smaller on, on Brook just on the idea that he's, you just get into his body and he's not, he, he, he had that crazy nice drive in this game with a spin move in it, but that's not really his game at this, at this point in his career, really at any point point in his career and i agree with you i think that that's the way to do it and it bears repeating really i mean because with the four with the four series set that is the nba playoffs sometimes it can feel like it's heavy repetition but getting one of the first two games is so important because otherwise you have to win four out of five and so for me if Nick Nurse feels or expects that he has anything that will be better, especially defending Milwaukee, but overall, like a a better lineup, a better rotation. He needs to throw it out in game two, because if they go down 2-0, it's so hard to come back barring an injury. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty much sunk at that point. Um, The other thing I think that would be disappointing in this game, if you're a Toronto fan, and maybe this is with that marathon that the Phillies series was, but they did have two days off after that game, and they they had two days off before that game as well obviously there's a lot of minutes in that one and Siakam Kawhi all going 42 Gasol 40 Lowry 40 where Giannis led the Bucks with 37 minutes you know I think that's if you want to look at why the Bucks had more energy at the end maybe you can point to that but I thought the Bucks in the second half played a lot harder than the Raptors they outran them in transition there was one play where Kawhi just didn't get the ball Lowry had to jack up a shot and then he was being guarded by Brogdon and Brogdon just ran down the floor ahead of Kawhi and just got it done you know there's uh the offensive rebounds is particularly early in that fourth quarter where one buck would go up among three Raptors and get it you know if it's Brooke Lopez who is just a you know they call him Splash Mountain for a reason standing right under the rim and someone drives and Brooke Lopez tips it in you know there's not that much you can do about that you know that's not necessarily an effort thing but when guys are crashing in in between three Raptors and they're just not reacting to the ball that's a major problem uh you know I, I thought they just did not have the energy even on that terrible Danny Green play where he decided to try and go behind the back against Middleton with eight on the shot clock after Bledsoe fronting Kawhi in the post it was the slowest two-on-one in world history and just no one got back to help I think it was Lowry after Green dove the ball like Siakam Leonard Gasol all those guys just jogged back and it it was also an unbelievably bad pass by by Middleton if you consider the catch radius of Brook Lopez you know like he almost missed Brook Lopez standing three feet from him but still since there was only one Raptor back he got into it and you you brought up the hustle thing something that I noticed was Toronto had eight offensive rebounds and some of those were were great I mean Kyle Lowry had two big ones early on but a couple of them and this just happens like Kyle like Kawhi Leonard's his offensive rebound was just the ball bouncing straight back to him that was not particularly a hustle play it was it was a good fortune play and those happen you know law of large numbers some some rebounds are just going to bounce right back to where you're standing but it seemed like they had more of the like a higher proportion of theirs were good fortune than Milwaukee some of that is Milwaukee getting a lot more of them but I, I I thought that that was a little bit of a concern and we don't have you know I, I don't have stats on like the 50-50 balls and any of that stuff but I do think it jibes another part of the story for me from this game and I don't really know how it affected things I'm guessing this benefited the Bucks was just how frantic and I would say deliriously fun the first half was and what I mean by that is they were playing fast and there were basically no stoppages and so yeah. those were incredibly high energy minutes as a point of reference there were 14 fouls in the entire first half both teams had about that many each in the second half and that meant fewer free throws you know fewer times getting the ball out of the basket and there were turnovers but a lot of the turnovers were live balls so then that's just producing action going the other way and yeah, to, to put a stat on that but by the way uh the bucks were in the hundredth percentile for transition percentage in the first half and the raptors were in the 97th percentile so Ooh. it's about as fast of a game as you're going to see in that first half in addition to the lack of stoppages you mentioned yeah so i'm guessing that we're out the raptors a little bit more not only because they played more recently but just the the structure of of how thing of how the action was going was they had a lot of guys that were flying especially like kyle lowry was flying around the court in that first half and that probably played a part in it i don't and i'm not saying like that's the reason they lost or anything silly like that but i do think it affected the rest of the game for better for worse for both teams and and then the second half was significantly slower as one would expect not only because you get the third quarter refs talking about all the stuff that they that 
they didn't and should have called in the first half, but also just the nature of, of the action getting a little bit slower and then you can get more contact and everything else. A few other notes here. Lopez getting going on inside looks it was huge. I mean, you, you'll forget it was three or four years ago that Brooke Lopez was basically an unstoppable post player, you know, and really never a great passer, but he's just so enormous in there and he's got great touch around the basket. So he got going on some drives, some cuts to the basket, and then was able to hit some threes in the second half. But I thought that was nice versatility by the Bucks, especially taking advantage of that with Giannis out of the game, where you're still playing four out, but you can use Lopez as a score more near the rim and still have spacing around. And part of why he spaces out all the time is because Giannis needs that space to go to the basket and then he can pass it out to him for three. But with Giannis out, you don't have those concerns. I thought that the Bucks didn't do nearly a good enough job of trying to get Siakam going in match, or I'm sorry, the, the Raptors didn't do nearly a good enough job of getting Siakam going in matchups that were favorable to him. The couple of times he was able to attack Yasova or Mirtich, it looked really good, and they just never really got him the ball in those situations, especially when Kawhi was out of the game. Um, I would say that the biggest Raptors adjustment I could think of is more of Kawhi wing isos backing down in the post rather than pick and roll they just and where he can get some defined reads out of the post if they double and Kawhi is not the greatest pick and roll passer and we mentioned if Lopez is in the game Kawhi getting all the way to the basket just really is not available to him and I thought Middleton did a really nice job of getting over screens uh, he also did a good job of taking away Kawhi's hands when I talked to the Warriors about Kawhi they say yeah you really got to force him left and he's capable of going left but yeah going to his right you know if you look at his shot chart from that fourth quarter against Philly it's all stuff going to his right right side of the floor so uh, but I do think the wing ISO is better Kawhi has the size advantage on Middleton the strength advantage the athleticism advantage so to enable him to just bump him off get to his spot and take his mid-ranger I think is more effective than putting him in pick and roll if they put Giannis on him then yeah you put him in pick and roll I mean that's your other problem too you got Giannis and uh Lopez both near the rim which you're just I mean you're not going to score <laughs> at the room I mean they had even in that first half when they were so good I think they had six shots at the rim in the whole first half so uh a lot of this is going to come down to Toronto's role players hitting shots they did that in the first half they did not do that in the second half they went I think the only three by anyone other than Lowry in a Toronto uniform in the second half was that crazy Siakam one at the end of the quarter uh and you know the Bucks. 25% for three and a lot of people are saying well man can you like Bucks still won and they only shot 25% for three I mean they've had a lot of games shooting 25% for three or 30% for three lately so I'm not sure that they're it's like so dead bang obvious that they're going to get going and hit some 40 percenters uh, they might uh but you know they've really been more of a volume three-point shooting team uh, Miritich and Middleton are really the knockdown guys for them Brogdon doesn't take as many that, I mean that'll be another thing too what did you think of Brogdon's contribution and, and how do you think he should be used uh going forward here as opposed to Miritich who has replaced him in the starting lineup due to his injury I thought Brogdon looked better moving than I expected a week off really did him some good and I probably would still have him coming off the bench at least for now if if the goal is to have him in that high 20s range I think that makes some sense also game high plus 18 by game the way, high plus for, 18 for I, well and part of that is getting into something else I want to talk about which was I, I I think Brogdon has more advantages against mixed lineups and against bench heavy lineups you know that that his limitations come less to the fore and so you could you know they can get away with having him out there more not that he's a bad player or anything but like when fvv's out there when norman powell's out there and and taking advantage of those minutes having a couple of ball handlers on the floor i think can be a big benefit so i wouldn't i wouldn't fight too hard if they put brogdon back into the starting lineup but i i kind of like mirtich there that's part of why i liked why i loved them acquiring mirtich at the deadline in the first place was just another look and so going between those two and that goes into one of the other big picture things not to I mean I'm giving you two things to respond to but the general you know seven plus two kind of rotation so you have the five starters Hill and Brogdon who are going to get meaningful minutes even though you know Hill went over six but he did a bunch of other positives on the four was disruptive in passing lanes lots of good stuff and then Ilyasov and Connaughton that is a much like to me a much better rotation especially those bench guys than Pal Van Vliet and then Ibaka I think can play can play better and then he did and I think there's a place for him in this series but like FVV the same concerns that I had in the Philly series and honestly in the Orlando series a lot of those things were still there and Norm Powell he's a body 
body, but they don't, and they don't really have anybody better, but we're getting into rarefied air here and he's just not at that level. Yeah, I, I think they can get more out of Van Vliet and Paul in the series than they did previously. Van Vliet, I think he's useful because he does get penetration a lot of the times, but he's just never going to actually shoot around the rim. But that's actually good against the Bucks because they're going to re- overreact to any kind of penetration and, and his driving kick game is what really helps. And I, and I thought that he got a lot going in transition and on, on driving kicks in the first half didn't look as good in the second but i I think van vliet can hold up reasonably well defensively i thought lowry held up reasonably well defensively uh, on switches and powell was two of four from three in the first half but i think you know he's gonna get open looks you know the i think philly they have a different approach than the bucks do and yeah toronto did not shoot well from three in a lot of those games against philly but philly really tries to run you off the three-point line and the bucks you know they they'll defend you obviously they'll try and contest pat Conton will run at you and jump as high as he can every single time but you are going to get open looks from three against this bucks team especially the ones that they got in the first half and i think powell is capable of of knocking those down but certainly i mean if you look at the plus minuses uh the bench was not particularly effective uh and for all we were saying about gasol you know he was plus one it's just it's hard for me to see mark gasol playing 40 minutes uh, um no no especially when when they have Ibaka available yeah. and you can play those guys together as they did but yeah how did you think that looked by the way and they want to see Akim at the three those those guys uh, with leonard out of the game they went there i don't think they went back to that in the second half though it, it was my recollection it didn't look as good as against Philadelphia, but that's not a surprise. I mean, it's it's an easier... I think Milwaukee has more tools to defend those kinds of lineups, and Siakam's going to have to hit shots. And, you know, I, th- I think he'll do a better job of that in future games of this series. But I didn't particularly love it in this game. How'd you feel? I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, it was during a, the period... I mean, I as, as in kind of a necessary lead. evil, I kind of get that. You know, yeah. like you need you need an identity when Kawhi's not on the floor. I well, get it and for that's, that purpose. that's their best defensive group, especially against Giannis. Because remember usually they're going to that if Kawhi is out of the game they got Siakam at the three you put Ibaka on Giannis because Giannis is usually in at that start of the second quarter when Kawhi rests so I do like that I mean those are some of your best players and and you're able to get them on the floor that way uh I'm very very interested to see whether this Bucks offensive rebounding continues Giannis had four Lopez had four and Miritich had three that was basically almost all their offensive rebound and but those are big guys and they were getting those rebounds in large part just by overpowering people and so are they going to stick with that they did get burned in transition in the first half they generally punt the offensive glass and you remember that buds hawks teams were setting records for lowest offensive rebounding percentage ever at that time at least in the nba i think those records have since been broken as the offensive rebounds continue to be de-emphasized uh so are we going to see more of that again are we going to see as much of lopez near the rim as we did is he going to take 21 shots and like he did tonight you know that's something that maybe you would say that's going to regress based on the Bucks normal MO but it could also be something that they just feel they have an advantage with in this series and they're going to continue doing it so that's a big question that I have going into game two is whether that offensive rebounding is going to continue and Toronto they're not going to get any offensive rebounds the Bucks are a great defensive rebounding team and Kyle Lowry led them with three uh, offensive rebounds so uh that that's going to just continue to be uh something that Toronto is not any good at one other thing I wanted to mention and it was a good point by you that Miritich and Middleton are Milwaukee's most reliable three-point shooters those guys were combined two for 12 in this game and kind of thinking about regression and progression of the mean from game one is interesting because Lowry was great I might not expect that but you know a lot of the other Raptors could play better than they did but just from a shooting perspective I could see Middleton Miritich doing better I could see Bledsoe being a little bit better I also thought Bledsoe did a better job in the early part of the game in transition he was way more scared of Lowry as a driver than a shooter but Lowry is better at this stage in his career at 33 years old to me in those situations he's better as a shooter than a driver so I think he adjusted a little bit to that in the second half and that took away some of it I mean Lowry was still very effective in the second half but just just that shift in mentality of oh I, I should get up on him because either somebody else will be back there or I can recover because this isn't, you know, 26-year-old Kyle Lowry anymore. I think, and Bledsoe is so damn athletic. I think that's something that will be an adjustment in this series. And 
I'm I'm interested in Toronto's frontcourt rotation. Like, does Nick Nurse make any real adjustments? It, it, sure, the nominal starters matter, but I'm more interested in who closes the game and how the minutes are apportioned than than that distinction. So, does Serge Ibaka play more? Does Marcus Gasol play less? All those sorts of things. And do we see? You know, they don't. Do we see more small lineups or just different configurations from either of these teams? Yeah, and I think uh, Ananobi being out. I know he had basically a, a lost year, but you don't have the option which in very limited minutes you remember when when Valanchunas was out and before they traded for Gasol they went to this more of Siakam at center with OG out you don't really have the option of doing that you're just going to be too small you know you have to play green at the three and Van Fleet and Lowry together that's just probably not going to work against this Bucks team and it might be just be too small against them anyway you know, you would see but you know that's a, a unit where you're going to make Lopez guard Siakam or OG or Leonard and you have a great transition unit but you know it doesn't appear OG is going to be able to make it back for the series and obviously you know what type of shape he would be in if he did it seems like it would be a big question mark a couple other notes here the Raptors Lowry and Green love to just hang around after the other team gets a defensive rebound and go for steals or try to poke it away. They need to cut that shit out. I know Lowry had that big steal in the Philly game, but the Bucks are just too good in transition. If you don't get back, if you can't load to Giannis, if you're making your transition defense lose its integrity with these, you know, one out of 20 gambles, that's just going to come back and bite you more times than not because keeping the Bucks out of transition, obviously, is just going to be so massive. They had 25 fast break points tonight. I think that when Giannis is out of the game in particular, Toronto really needs to make an effort to get Siakam involved. And then they just, they got to solve the Lopez problem somehow. They got to just get enough shooting. I mean, I think when you throw Lopez and Giannis in there as well, I think Lopez was better defensively in this game, or at least as good as Embiid was in any of those Philly games. Uh, but the Bucks have a much better offense than Philly does. And so, you know, scoring a point per possession is not going to get it done for Toronto in this series. The Bucks only assisted on 12 of their first 25 field goals because they couldn't hit a three and then assisted on nine of their last 12 because they were hitting threes you know that they're that's where their assists are going to come from it's not going to be beautiful back doors it's going to be kick out passes for three and so it's tough for them to get assists if they're not making their threes and i think that's about all i have and i and i would say to after seeing this game i probably would actually change my prediction to box in six uh but you know we'll see now now i get the worst of both worlds <laughs> if if toronto actually does oh. come through but you know it doesn't change it for us on the score sheet but yeah you no know, i i think uh especially with brogdon back and and him playing well i think that's a a big difference but the biggest reason why i would change my pre-series prediction is that i thought Kawhi would just be able to dominate and it it doesn't look structurally like that's going to be the case i didn't think he just shot well he did not get great looks uh, in this game and that ties in with the last thing that i wanted to say you you've talked about the impact that brick lopez and Giannis had around the rim overall in the game milwaukee blocked 22 percent of toronto's that is an incredible percentage especially when you consider how few shots toronto took around the rim yeah and i mean i i would expect given the number of bench guys that they're playing that milwaukee is going to be able to continue to play harder especially down the end of games and considering their rest advantage from the philly series as well interesting george hill uh was 0 for 6 in this game and it was not able to get going after his incredible series and bledsoe 0 of 6 from 3 i don't remember any of them even really being particularly close that seemed like it was something that's going to be a problem and i think if you're toronto you really continue to help off him and, and in, with kyle lowry guarding him you've got a great guy to do that he's a great help defender also the uh i think the charge off between lowry and Ilyasova is tied at 2-2 right now you know that's that's really the series within the series if, if we're being honest although actually probably the one thing aesthetically that i don't particularly care for in the series the rest of it I, i've been really enjoying yeah one of those two guys is going to be drawing charges in the nba finals and that'll be fun well, at least they properly called that block on on lowry when on the one on Giannis that i like oh when he just about killed him yes like oh yeah that 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 was was like i thought you could use that like theoretically if you did another sloan oh yeah that was like right out of my sloan sloan powerpoint for that 
So my wife and I moved into a new home a bit ago out of the apartment that we had been sharing. And I realized that the current Wi-Fi situation was not good enough. Got this awesome fiber connection and still my internet speeds were very slow in certain portions of the house or it would just kind of wink out from time to time. And so just one traditional router wasn't enough to cover the whole house, which is a big problem considering that we rely on great internet to record this podcast and to stream the NBA cast, a bunch of other stuff you also need it to be really good because if my wife wants to watch something streaming while we're doing the nba cast or a recording a pod can't have that messing up what we're trying to do at the same time but thankfully the era home wi-fi system can bring you a fast reliable connection in every room of your house and their second generation Eero and Eero Beacon, that's E-E-R-O, no capital letters in, in Eero either, very E coming style. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to the home. When you add their Eero Plus service, you get total network protection with the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across your entire network, which is pretty awesome. Especially if you have kids, you can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content. So you choose what your kids can and cannot visit right from the Eero app. And they've got a database of millions of known threats to prevent you from accidentally visiting malicious sites and it's not going to slow anything down like it would if you had some software running on your computer get rid of all the annoying ads and pop-ups on your devices and their ad blocking improves load times for ad heavy sites so you can browse and stream faster than ever before so you get started with them and get 100 off the euro base unit and two beacons package and a year of that euro plus service visit euro.com slash cap space and enter the code cap space at checkout so it's both a url and that cap space code that's Eero, E-E-R-O dot com slash cap space and enter code cap space to check out to let them know that you came from us. So let's turn now to the Detroit Pistons uh, off season. Where do they come into the off season from a cap standpoint, Danny? They do not have a ton of flexibility. That should not be a surprise to people who remember the, it's kind of a death by a thousand cuts system with their approach because not only, I mean, they have the big ticket items, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond making a combined 61 million next year but john Moore 9.5 langston galloway 7.3 reggie jackson 18.1 and so that means unless tom gores is way more willing to pay the luxury tax than i would anticipate they will be doing that dance of trying to make the best team possible while also staying underneath the electrics and this is something that you've written about. Maybe the way they try and open up a little more space is via the stretch provision. Sure. So Detroit, as as I see it, their most significant constraint is the 1920 season because Reggie Jackson expires, Lure, Galway, all those type of guys. And maybe Andre Drummond opts out. What that means in terms of their cap is, is an interesting question. But that means that saving money this year and throwing some of it onto future years through the stretch provision is a value add largely for them. Whether you want to think of that as being able to use a larger portion of the middle of exception or signing better players all, all those sorts of things like i think i think they can do better overall by doing so and remember that the pistons are fairly asset poor so just paying a team to take on one of their bad contracts is not really worthwhile to them so with john lure he's a really good example of this 9.5 million so if you stretch that you save about 6 million a little bit over that for this season's books and that ca- that's towards the cap and the tax and then you throw that $6 million in equal parts on the following two years. Generally speaking, adding that $6 million in flexibility is more valuable than the $3 million you lose in each of the next two. So they will need to know ahead of time that you know that, that, that math is going to work out for them. But the fortunate thing for Detroit about the stretch revision, two things. One, lure isn't so good that you're really worried about the value add on the floor. You know, it's not, let's say, Alan Crabb I've talked about before with Brooklyn, where you're cutting a potential rotation player to save money that you need to use for some purpose. And also... They can wait until they know exactly what ducks they need to put in a row before using the stretch revision because you do have to use it during the offseason, but it's after almost all of the major action in free agency is well complete. So Detroit will know where they stand before they decide on stretching lure, Galway, whatever. It appears very likely, given the lack of flexibility that you noted, that the plan is going to be, well, we chased the eighth seed this year, so maybe we can get the seventh seed next year. <laughs> uh, and we'll see who they end up getting. Blake Griffin, hard 
hard to imagine as it now he's getting into I think he turns 30 this year he'll make 34 million then 36 and 39 the next two years Andre Drummond at 27 and then the, this is the last year of Reggie Jackson at 18 so those are three starters hard to imagine that they can really find a way to make an upgrade at point guard unless they make a trade th- that includes Jackson with the the finances being able to work also recall that they lost their draft pick last year in the Blake Griffin trade which ended up actually being a pretty valuable player they ended up using that pick for Shea Gilgis Alexander Miles Bridges if they had Miles Bridges you'd feel a little bit better about their future going forward because really if they're trying to be good next year they've got Luke Kennard can play the two a little bit Wayne Ellington is a free agent but they're limited in what they can pay him since he he signed as a buyout guy and you've got Bruce Brown who realistically doesn't have enough of an offensive game anytime soon to be a high level starter Svee Mikhailiuk uh who's not guaranteed for next year but you imagine they'll they'll pick him up and uh Kyrie Thomas and then they have the number 15 pick so really uh, and they've also got Langston Galway so they're probably okay at the two they got absolutely nothing at the three they got massacred by Chris Middleton they don't have anybody who can do any kind of switching or or helping at the three no athleticism Glenn Robinson the thirds 4.3 million dollar team option is not a good value you imagine that they will decline that he's the only person they have who presides any kind of athleticism at the three and he really had a loss here so like the entire rest of the league they're looking for something at the three and not just a depth piece but really a starter and as you mentioned maybe they can figure out a way to get to that full 9.2 million dollar mid-level exception and you know you could go out with a contract of four years and 39.8 million dollars but is that enough to get you a starting three and we mentioned before the options there in that type of a price range trevor Ariza, maybe damari carroll maybe james edis they've already has already kind of flamed out there they're probably not interested in him and then you're down really into total fringe guys tabo cephalosha or you go the route of going with a bigger guy who would be a little bit miscast of the three but you just have to play in there because you don't have anyone else you know you're marcus morris Jamal Michael Green types. So that's not very encouraging. They also have big time problems at backup big men. Zaza Pachulia is not really good enough there. They could bring him back on another minimum deal, but especially with Griffin likely to miss more time this year coming off that knee surgery than he did this year when he played almost all the season until the very end. They have to have something at a backup four, so some kind of a stretch four option. Thon Maker maybe can mature into being that, but you know he's really kind of failed in that role. So they actually they have a lot of needs. I mean, I would say yeah. starting three, backup center, backup two. Well, and you didn't mention one other one that's important and that yeah. matters to their math, which is oh, the point guard. backup two. point guard. Yeah. So Ish Smith, they had the ridiculous splits this year when he played and didn't play. And some of that was happenstance, you know, them winning and losing games that were not related to Ish Smith's absence. Yeah. But, and part of it was not happenstance. It was Jose yeah. Calderon was their third string point guard. And that didn't help. And so to, to paint the basic picture of their math as I see it, the Pistons have about 15 million to spend. And this is not a circumstance if you consider the luxury tax a hard line of oh you know you can you can spend up to that line and then go over with minimums or something like that no that's that's the actual line and so that seems like a lot of money and and it is but they need probably four roster spots from that because they have i accounted as nine including svi in their draft pick and yeah and four roster spots who can play four roster spots who can play but then so they do have spending power because they have the theoretically they can use as much of the you know, 9.2 million non-taxpayer mid-level as they are fit to do everything else they have the biannual exception for this year which is worth 3.6 and they have bird rights on ish smith however those three things will cost more than 15 million and all likely it and of course Ish smith can leave of his own volition should he choose to so it gets it gets hairy pretty quickly and that's why i think they're going to stretch john lures to give them an extra six million yeah make that 15 to 21 maybe that's enough to do all three of those things and, and get it to work they also have the 45th pick in the draft but that's not going to get you a whole heck of a lot in terms of immediate value hopefully it can be somebody that can be a part of your rotation a couple of years from now and smith one of the most valuable parts of him of, of his free agency from the pistons perspective is that they could sign him without having to tie up a portion of their mid-level which should be used on another position of significant need so if you're trying to add three quality players bird rights are an important way to get one of those three and they only really have bird rights on ish so yeah he has some leverage there but there are lots of teams that are looking for point grants there are also a fair number of point guards that will be on the unrestricted market a lot of 
eye of the beholder type guys like Derek Rose, Alfred Payton, n- none of which are particularly inspiring. I actually like Ish Smith better than a lot of the options there. But will a team go out of their way to pay any one of those guys? Probably not. I, I don't think that's, you know, unless they have money to burn and that's the biggest need, maybe in that sort of a circumstance, but that's later in the process in all likelihood. So I think the Pistons can solve the point guard one, and I think they could use the BAE to maybe, maybe that's a good way to get the stretch, the stretch option, because a lot of those guys aren't going to make a ton of money. But finding a three, even for the mid-level, as you laid out with the different options that are there, that's going to be absolutely brutal. And the stakes are high because not only is it, you know, needing that player to do well in the regular season, but if they want to make any sort of noise in the playoffs, the supply issue is just ridiculous because the best teams have good small forwards and odds are you're going to run into one. Yeah. And they really just, Blake Griffin is not suited to to guard those sorts of players. And yeah, the ish thing, the more I think about this, I totally agree with you. They're going to, I think they're going to stretch lure. I think they're going to pay what it takes to bring ish back because they just have no way to replace him. And then they only have the BAE and, and the Flemily. The, the BAE, by the way, they could offer a two year deal up to $7.4 million. It would start at $3.6 million this year. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that helps them fill out the rotation and you could bring back Pachulia and hope that, hope that he can do enough as a backup center along with Thon. But it's really, this is why Blake Griffin's season was so impressive this year, frankly. And it, why Dwayne Casey's season I thought was very impressive too in terms of their ability to be a plus defensive team this season with the personnel limitations that they had. And so, you know, Ish Smith really, I mean, Ish Smith and Reggie Jackson, that's like one of, especially for a team that doesn't have a superior wing creator to take responsibility off of those guys. I mean, that's one of the worst set of point guards in the NBA, or, or certainly you would say one of the worst set of pick and roll players in the NBA, right? I mean, they just have no one on this team really who can attack off the dribble and put pressure on the rim other than Blake. And that's why Blake was leading the league in touches and had this crazy usage rate, et cetera. And, and I mean, that's a, a lot of a load for him. He eventually broke down. So, you know, I think someone like Derek Rose actually would make a lot of sense uh, for this team. Someone like Tyreek Evans to me would make a lot of sense uh, for this team. Those are really, I, I think they really need like a microwave score type of guy. And of course they're being linked to Seth Curry, which I really, you know, I don't, I think Wayne Ellington who's departing is better than Seth Curry. Uh, he's, he's got more size, a more versatile jump shot and Curry can run probably a little more pick and roll than he was asked to do in Portland this year, but not a good defensive player, I would say, uh, and doesn't have much size. And, and, you know, you can argue about whether he's a point guard or not, but he's not going to get to the rim and put pressure on it and give them some kind of a drive game. So to me, I'm not sure it's realistic for them to find a three. They may have to just kind of go into next year with the same stopgap and hope that, you know, it's not the end of the world when you, against 20 of the 30 teams, if you get in the playoffs, you're going to get completely destroyed. But against 20 of the 30 teams, maybe you're okay with basically playing a, a glorified two at the three, but you got to find someone to me who can attack off the drill. That's more likely than just finding that sturdy two-way guy at the three with the resources that are available. There are a few point guards on this market that I think would make sense next to Blake Griffin. Point guards who aren't as talented as creators, but George Hill, I think, would be an interesting fit there. But the problem is the difference between George Smith and Ish, uh, George Hill and Ish Smith is Ish has bird rights, George Hill does not. And so unless the asking price is very significantly from what I expect, I think that you you go with the guy that you have because it allows, it allows them to get other things. The other elephant in the room that I think we should discuss briefly, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it, is how Stefanski in the front office should handle Andre Drummond. Drummond is on the final fully locked in year of his contract, so he'll make 27.1 next year. Then he has a, a player option worth 28.8. You and I are both lower on, on Drummond, I think, than the overall, you know, like the average fan or front office person, partially because we don't value as much of the counting stats that he brings and his defense I'm still queasy about. How would would you just approach this offseason as if somebody makes us a great offer that we'll consider it? Or would you tr- consider shopping him aggressively? I mean, I'm just not sure what the plan is. Like, like it, w- as we went through the list of teams that need a center in free agency, I also think that there are some superior options in free agency to Drummond and that may not cost as much either. It's just hard to say who has the need for him. Who is saying, oh, Andre Drummond is really going to help us take the next step as a franchise that doesn't already have a center. I mean, we're overloaded with centers and 
it's tough to pay him that much i would say you know i'm not sure who they're going to get that's going to make them more competitive uh, as opposed to andre drummond another thing that's being talked about too is that they could be a potential mike conley destination and all right if you want to throw this year's first rounder and your 2021 first rounder in there and give up two first round picks to get a guy who again is making 30 million maybe that's enough to get it done for memphis but you remember you're also throwing in reggie jackson who you know is not much use to memphis maybe lure or galloway are the rest of the matching salary there and you know so you're not only having to give up the first rounders but you're making the team that's receiving uh those first rounders also take on bad salary it ends in one year but it's still bad salary as well that in many ways negates the value of those picks potentially so that's a another big issue here to me if they want to make a trade hard for me to see how they cobble together the best offer that is actually a, a legal trade and well and remember that yeah. if they take on money in that trade that's going against the luxury tax too so if they you know like let's say it's they right. take on an extra 10 percent that goes straight off the top and conley would be a really nice player for them and it's possible yeah they, they could chase the sixth seed instead of the seventh seed yeah yeah let's bring it in and it would i it wouldn't surprise me if they pursue that whether they have the best i don't think they would necessarily have the best offer but yeah you're right you're right to go in that and i mean there's an idea that it could be the lakers just if they decide drummond is is better than the options there that would be just sad for me as somebody who who would like who'd like to see the lakers be well run i think that would be a good thing for the league and but it is it does bring into stark relief just how few teams not only how few teams need a center but how few teams could really benefit fit from a meaningfully better center for the teams where Drummond is an upgrade. And that's another part of this. You know, like, could theoretically Sacramento prefer Drummond to some of the other center options? Sure, they could. But they also could use that money for a, a forward and I think make a lot more bang for their buck. Anything else to say uh, on these guys at this point? I mean, it does seem like, you know, where they are now, it's just stay the course and then when Blake and, and Drummond come off the books, I guess you go into the rebuild then. Uh, you know, maybe you could see if the season starts extremely poorly and they're you know Blake is injured for part of the way they might try to move him uh, that's a, a slight possibility maybe you could say uh, but yeah the only thing I'll add yeah. is that they should do more listening than I expect them to do on their best yeah. players because the level of success that they are likely to reach this year paralleling last uh, the upcoming season as opposed to the just completed season isn't particularly inspiring so yeah if, if it's entirely possible that the market for those two guys is just more tepid than they're comfortable with and hey a playoff run is better than not a playoff that's fine they they've largely made this bet but if another team kind of like they did overvalues Blake Griffin sees the year he had which was fantastic and 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 it, we've given it plenty of praise over the year or sees Drummond's rebounding and his physical potential and says we want that guy to me you listen because that would be those teams overvaluing those players and would facilitate a more full-scale rebuild even if cap space let's say is not as valuable to Detroit as it could be to other teams all right anything else uh, on these guys here or, or- or shall we move on in a moment? That's it. We can move on. Well, if you were watching uh, tonight's Eastern Conference Finals game one, you probably saw Giannis Antetokounmpo. No copy. I do not need a phonetic spelling of his name. I got it. Don't worry. I've been saying it since 2013. But you probably didn't know about Giannis. He's the only player to ever get a signature slipper deal. Hulu is paying Giannis a lot of money to wear fluffy green Hulu has live sports slippers. They also got Joel Embiid to change his nickname from the process to Joel Hulu has live sports Embiid. And Dave Damian Lillard got a tattoo that says Hulu has live sports. Pretty good job picking these guys by Hulu, by the way. Very prominent players in this year's playoffs. Hulu and those players really want you to know that Hulu has live sports. And you could have watched tonight's game with their live TV plan for just $45 a month. Live sports and news, your favorite teams, the biggest games on 60 plus top channels for just $45 a month. That's right. You can follow your teams all season. No cable required. And Hulu also has awesome originals. They have the entire Seinfeld catalog they've got pen 15 which is a, my favorite new comedy right now my wife and i love that one so give it a shot just 45 dollars a month for their live tv plan restrictions apply learn more at hulu.com all right same question now to start us off for orlando where do they sit here cap wise so things are a little bit more complicated for orlando because of the optionality so they theoretically 
could clear cap space. They could be an under-the-cap team, have significant cap holds for Vooch and Terrence Ross. Both those are between 15 and 20 million. And then they also have restricted free agents, Jaron Grant and Drell Martin, who I expect them to just renounce. You don't need to, to give them an offer, much yeah. less have their hold on them. And books. real quickly here, just to, I know a lot of you have been listening for a long time, but basically what a cap hold is, is it is a placeholder for a formula of what the CBA predicts the player will make. And as long as you keep that on your books, you can't sign anybody else with that space. But by keeping that on your books, it gives you the right to re-sign that player with whatever form of bird rights that he may have. In the case of Vucevic and Ross, they both have full bird rights and you could they can sign them basically to whatever contract they want uh, up to the maximum. So sorry, sorry for that No, no, no. I'm happy you did it. And so Orlando, if they wanted to clear to function as a cap space team, it would be very easy for them. I mean, it would be painful to lose Vooch, Ross, and the other guy. Easy for them to get to about 17 million. That's that's the easy line. And then theoretically, they could stretch Timofey Mozgov, or they could use resources to trade him. That would clear a little bit over 10, more than the 11 million dollar range. So yeah, if you if you want to, if for whatever reason they think getting to 28 million matters more, like if they can do real something real with that, they could without too much pain. But the more likely scenario as of right now is that instead of creating cap space, they instead have about 40 million, not including a Mozgov stretch, underneath the tax line that they could use to to re-sign Vooch, maybe re-sign Ross, depending on what his asking price is, use the mid-level and function as an over-the-cap team. And that's a, a compelling situation for Weltman in their front office. But something that I wanted to kind of put at the outset here, as I was running through for a different project, I was running through their books, is the idea that to some extent, Orlando is choosing between 2019, 2020, and 2021 to potentially make a more potent expenditure. So Mozgov theoretically expires next season if they don't stretch him, then Fournier the year after. And so Orlando can really go after free agents in one of in any one of those three years. But the more players they sign at any given time, the more limited that flexibility becomes. And that's why Vooch is the pivot point, because if you keep Vooch, then that money, whatever he ends up getting, but it's going to be significant, stays on their books. And then contracts like Fournier's and, and DJ Augustine potentially getting a new deal. Then you're kind of looking more in that term as opposed to becoming a cap space team in the future with this young core, or not core, but with this young group still on their current contracts and that really gets to the crux of what the plan here is in orlando i I think you might say all right these guys have been in the doldrums for years and years they finally made the playoffs they're really on the way up well okay their best player is gonna be 28 this offseason and a free agent and just had the best year of his career and got completely erased in the first round of the playoffs as they were not competitive after that game one that same player was also drafted behind when they picked mo bamba six overall and, and but then bamba disappointed it seemed like when Jeff Weltman and John Hammond came in two years ago, they started off by, by drafting John Isaac. They had a, the six pick, then they drafted Bamba. Really seemed like potentially their mandate was to blow up what had been blown up and restarted, but to ill effect several times over the previous four years. And then all of a sudden, they get good enough so that they don't really have a way now to add the superstar talent that they so desperately need. They don't even really have a way, unless they move on from Fuchs, to get someone who is going to be a difference maker attacking the basket i mean dj augustin has done way better than anyone could have expected but expecting him going forward here in the fourth year of that deal in his 30s to be your primary pick and roll guy not to mention to be good enough for this team to take the next step it just isn't realistic if they re-sign vooch they're looking at at the mid-level maybe if they re-sign ross and vooch they might not even have room under the tax for the full mid-level now they also have markel fultz for next year and maybe maybe somehow he'll come out of hiding and actually be able to provide them with something at the point guard position like that is a reasonable lottery ticket and and the fact that they are stuck like this is why i thought that was a good trade for them even though the more or i should say the less we hear about fultz as time goes on makes it seem more and more unlikely that he's going to contribute and john isaac i don't think offensively has shown enough to to think that he's going to be more than kind of a decent offensive player who's really good defense 
defensively and then aaron gordon who's on a value contract is probably their second best player john isaac plays the same position as him basically and it's just going to be hard to get enough offense going with a below average point guard and two guys who are aren't great shooters at the three and the four and then maybe you lose ross as well i mean the, the, if they do keep food you would imagine same thing as we were talking about with ish smith they'll try to retain ross so it'd be very interested to see what ross's market is you'd think there will be some competition for his services as a microwave score but he's another one of these guys not really a two-way playoff kind of player really a regular season type of player due to his defensive deficiencies so you know you would think if this was the la clippers and with the the realism that their front office has shown maybe they re-sign booch and then trade him at the earliest po- opportunity maybe they just let him and ross go and say hey you know what like this is a nice blip but too bad we're trying to build something more sustainable here and it's going to take more pain and and more high draft picks to, to do that take on some more bad contracts get some more bites at the apple in terms of the draft but it just with this being the first team that's made the playoffs in seven years and finally some excitement and then you know vooch being a, a guy who came here after his first year and you know could be a potential ring of honor inductee for the team made his first all-star team i i guess you see them bringing all these guys back and rerunning it and maybe they try and get someone with an exception but it, again hard to see how that is a difference maker for them you brought it up but it bears a little bit repeating not only is vooch who was their best player was this his age 28 season but 48 and augustine are both you know prime or, or in augustine's case post post prime so when those guys are when the young guys are ready to roll those players will be in a little bit too old for, for to be well fitting for this team and now players that are outside their prime that's not foreclosing on it they could still provide value in a lot of different ways but squaring it up would be really beneficial for a team that is not so good that those margins don't matter like for example Iguodala is not the same age as the Warriors main guys but Iguodala doesn't have to be that's a you know that's the most extreme example but there are a series of different ones you know poor like there are lots of interesting ones that that exist throughout the league Orlando also faces a practical challenge Marco Fultz was going after this as you said of figuring out their offensive identity they have a lot of players that intrigue me defensively and Vooch is presumably a part of that if they resign him Augustine presumably will be on the team next year but he's not the long-term solution at least in the context of like guys in their early to mid-20s like Aaron Gordon it is exceedingly hard to procure players like that who can be the real difference makers you know if we're talking about a top 10 to 15 point guard in the league you can draft those players every once in a while you can sign them but they're very expensive or maybe just maybe you could trade for them but you have to have serious assets to do so and gambling on Fultz totally justified didn't have to give up a whole bunch give up a whole bunch to make it happen especially if OKC ends up with one of the you know if they end up not conveying that pick and then it becomes seconds all that kind of stuff but it's a very large practical consideration for them and if the goal is to also be good for the next couple years or at least be good enough that you're not terrible then the draft assets are weaker and it become that will become a more paralyzing need unless Marco Fultz really steps up to the plate which we all hope happens but is different so let's say they do follow this strategy of all right we're just going to bring everyone back and we'll see what happens and try to get Vooch and Ross uh, on the best contracts we can but there will be demand for their services so you know let's say you can get those guys for a combined 35 million dollars that gives you about seven million dollars in room below the tax and so now you've got to stretch Mozgov which you know probably makes sense uh and that'll open up enough room so you can use the full mid-level maybe use the BAE as well to me their biggest team needs are a point guard who can really penetrate uh, I think that's the, the number one thing that they need backup point guard you don't know certainly until you see him play in summer league which we still haven't heard anything about hopefully he will play in summer league Marco Fultz but you can't go into the season and they saw how having Jerry and Grant and Mo Bamba at backup point guard and center nearly torpedoed their season I think you have to go into next year just assuming that Bamba will at least be good enough at backup center they've also got Ken Birch uh, as a restricted free agent but they can probably hold his value down enough that it could make sense to bring him back as a third center in case Bamba falters or you know suffers some additional injury issues so really I think it's backup point guard that is your biggest need and so we mentioned Derek Rose as a possibility 
George Hill, I think, would, would be an interesting fit there. I think you want to skew more towards offense. Darren Collison could be another one who's kind of in the same mold as Augustine, but not the same pick and roll player to me. I think Jeremy Lin, who played uh, with Steve Clifford, could be an interesting option and, and maybe one who could play next to DJ Augustine if necessary, or if Augustine takes a step back, maybe Lin could start for you in a pinch. We'll see what kind of minutes that he's actually capable of playing at this point in time. But the, those are the type of players I think they need. Someone who's just a little bit more dynamic off the dribble than what they've had maybe for like fringier guys someone along the lines of like a trey burke is someone they could take a flyer on just give them some kind of microwave scoring off the bench off the dribble other than just you know what ross is doing for them coming off screens but that to me is their biggest need you agree or you think they would want to go in some different kind of direction i broadly agree though i think if one existed in their price range they could use an offensive player at basically any other position just as sure. a, a, who could fit in the rotation and the nice thing about having two forwards that are largely similar in terms of position is that you could fit a lot of players next to them you could go with a stretch big you could go with a, a three that could bring a different element to this team the problem is once you slide away from the extremes, the supply narrows and players get a lot more expensive. So if you wanted a, a three who could do a little bit with the ball in their hands, good luck. All those guys cost way more than the middle level. Extent. It's just the way it works. Or they're so flawed that they're in the market, but then you create a whole bunch of other problems. And I would like to see Orlando get more shot creation, whether it's at the one or some other spot, because they have guys like Jonathan Isaac, who at this point in their career, it looks like they'll profile more as dependent offensive players. There's no shame in that, but it, it just puts more onus on everybody else. And Fournier can be a part of that solution. Augustine will be a part of that solution. But you want more options there, especially if they can be younger. And as as you said, you know, like the, those aren't necessarily the strongest group in this class and the restricted free agents aren't any better. So like, I don't think they can really go after any of those type of guys either In because if the market stalls enough for those players that Orlando has the right price, then their current teams will probably just match. So I don't think that's that's much of a, of a selling point there. I would actually, as even though I just talked about all this stuff about how they need shot creation, strangely, I kind of feel like Austin Rivers would be compelling there just as another guy to throw into their rotation mix. And, you know, he can, he's a capable defensive guard. He's better off ball than on ball, but he might be available at one, like maybe at one of their lower end price points, depending on how people interpret his Rockets tenure. But yeah, I'd be, I'd be looking at a stretch big. That's another option. It's not a priority, but it's another option and one that could be within their, maybe the biannual price range, just like I talked about with the Pistons, should the Pistons have that available. Yeah. And the stretch big is tough though, because that guy usually isn't going to play any defense and you mm-hmm. play him next to Vucevic and now you're looking a little compromised. Well, what there. I'm thinking more is also somebody who could spell Vuce and then you're playing him next to Isaac, Gordon, or both. Yeah. That type of a player would be yeah. would be useful too. And and another thing to remember here is while Vuce, you know, deserving all-star breakout season, I wonder how much the marginal value of, of what he's going to bring to the table over the next three to four years is over, let's say, someone like Dwayne Dead. Deadman had a worse year, is a more, is a more limited offensive player to be sure but i do like his defensive capability better and i'm guessing his price point is going to be a lot lower so how those type of guys fare in this market like but orlando's probably not going to know that before they make a vooch decision they can just think about it in the abstract yeah and and i think if it were me i would just bite the bullet and you know unless i got vooch on a contract that i thought was a really good value that could be tradable for assets and same thing with ross i probably would let those guys walk and just to continue with the rebuild as nice of a story as last year was but in a market that has been starved for even any kind of a playoff team now you finally get it and then you take another step back maybe they feel like they can't deal with that but you know for me I'm all about trying to build a a championship contender or even a consistent 50 win team and this just does not appear to be on track for that unless some of these guys that we really don't think like Bamba or Isaac or Gordon develop much much more from an offensive standpoint than it appears they are on track to do right now there's Uh, one other big thing we need to discuss oh yeah and that is the fourth year option on mark health so because he was the number one overall pick the option for the 2020-21 season is worth 
$12.3 million for Orlando. And they have to make that decision by Halloween. It is fun that the league decided, what, even when they moved up the schedule, to keep that decision date the same. So theoretically, Orlando not only knows what happens in training camp, but they also can get a week and a half, two weeks of the season before they have to make this decision. It would be a pretty big disappointment for, you know, they gave, they did give up assets to get him and he he's their, you know, their highest upside option at point guard right now. But that's a lot of money to tie up. And and again, it also depends on how their offseason goes, but I'm guessing that 13 million is going to be significant for them. So it's a big decision for, for the front office to make. And then theoretically, should they pick that up, then, then you get into all the other things. He would be extension eligible next summer and all that. So I, I wanted to mention that because they're going to be thinking about it. So we should be too. So depressing. The, the false thing. I mean, I, I was just running through scenarios in my head as you were saying that of him showing up at, into camp and still like not being cleared, whatever that is, and just still not actually having an understanding of, all right, is it pain? Is it mental? Well, it's, a, it's something, and, to, and something office, to note here yeah. that declining, depending on how the 1920 season goes, declining his option does not foreclose on Fultz staying a member of the Orlando Magic, sort of paralleling what happened with Mario Hazonia, though Hazonia ended up not resigning with the Magic. The value of his next contract was pretty close to the declined option. So that could be a possibility, but remember, he would be an unrestricted free agent. So he could go wherever he wants for whatever reason he wants, should that be the case. Well, in theory, if he plays well enough, you have plenty of opportunity in front of him. But I mean, I'm sort of imagining him like still not being ready to play in the front office being like, hey, like whatever you've got to give us, you better get out there or we're just going to be forced to decline your option. Uh, And that doesn't seem like a a great situation. But for again, for those who are new listeners, when a guy has a rookie contract, rookie scale contract, four years, last two years of those are team options. The amount is set by the rookie scale. If you decline one of those years, you can bring him back, but you are limited to what his salary would have been in that year, which is the 12.3 million. So that could well be enough to bring him back. And they could even do a longer contract starting at that 12.3 million. But the reason for that is so teams can have cost certainty and there won't be any agitating by the player of like, oh, hey, just decline my option and then pay me pay me way more before year five just to take away that, that possibility essentially so players won't agitate to get paid more than what their rookie contracts would have been. That's why that rule exists. So it's easy to remember it that way. Um, so anything else uh, that you would like people to remember before we go here? Yeah, so I did a, a, a really fun podcast with Sam Vecini, who put up a ton of material yesterday for The Athletic about the lottery. You and I talked about it on this show. We went in a couple other directions, including trade ideas for Anthony Davis and Mike Conley, and what what the lottery, what the breakout is going to be in terms of the draft itself and then everything else in the offseason. So that's available, Real GM Radio. You can check that out wherever you listen to this podcast or any other. My offseason preview of the Knicks should be out by the time most people listen to this. That will be at The Athletic. And those will keep coming out. I'm going to have another one by the end of the week. And we hopefully will be doing, not for for game two of Warriors Blazers, but for game two of Raptors Bucks, doing the being back to the NBA cast, our alternate announcing for these Eastern Conference Finals games. Yeah, and, and my uh, personal apologies for not being able to do the show tonight. My voice is starting to give out on me. It's been a little sick, so needed to preserve it to actually do this pod instead of screaming at the TV for three hours. But it, we really love doing that. I'm sorry that we didn't have a chance to hopefully that will be possible on friday night so uh we'll talk to you tomorrow night after game two of blazers warriors till then a lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing inspections negotiating analyzing the market and talking through any anxieties that may pop up that can make all the difference that's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.